0: Consider a waste confronting snakes on a backbite detrimental to cultures that they like Sight, asswipe, catch them on stage Mad hype, with a trash mic More flavor in the gutter glass pipe And a flashlight, look around for something It's still scurry, but we we'll incite riots And minds going blurry Welcome to the Human Condition Podcast I'm your host Mike Finney Where the only expression Is the elimination of ideas To the liberation of self and uh, i got that a little bit wrong right there but i'm gonna keep it in because uh, i'm not doing it again so <clears throat> i want to talk about um a current event and this is a current event that sparked a huge rabbit hole it sparked me reevaluating Kantian ethics Immanuel kant's uh i'm gonna say uh, just war um perpetual peace essay um the critique of reason, uh, religion is the mere, or religion within mere reason, um, there's a couple other essays, uh, I might go over them, but, uh, I'm gonna have to outline Kantian ethics to propose the position, um, that I, uh, Re, or came to after the international crisis, and I'm going to call it a crisis because it's not—it's—it's it's so downplayed. It's so downplayed, and it's so important. It's so important. The Nord Stream pipeline was sabotaged. Now, uh, if you don't know what the Nord Stream pipeline is, um, it is a gas pipeline, natural gas pipeline, running from. Russia to Germany. This uh, pipeline, it is, it is supplies a huge portion of uh, energy demand onto the economic distribution of Russia and we as you know like we gotta have a boogeyman right like we gotta have a boogeyman uh, to make any of our systems function of an international sphere of influence we need a boogeyman we need someone to go against because we're humans and we uh, immediately ascertain that the unknown must propose threat Um, we are we grew up that way Uh, we evolved that way And we're gonna stay that way without circumventing the uh, the innate nature of man so we need a boogeyman and um, the problem is that Russia controls a large portion of energy distribution in Europe Uh, we have economic sanctions against Russia Uh, they just invaded Ukraine Um, Now, you can't necessarily disagree with economic distribution and allocation of resources under a uh, foreign international uh, market. You can't control another nation's economic supply or demand in that matter. Um, Now, you can propose that... Um, through sanctions, but as I come to the conclusion of uh, Kantian ethics, I'm gonna, rightly so, provide evidence against that. And so uh, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with the basics. I'm gonna outline the most fundamental aspects and definitions. It's just gonna be definitions, people. I'm not gonna sit there and read a whole goddamn uh, essay to you uh, verbatim because uh what's the fun in that right all right so the first thing we're going to talk about is imperatives and there's there's two there's two there's two uh forms of imperatives within Kantian ethics uh he outlines uh, one of them is categorical imperative. is the central philosophical concept in deontological moral philosophy, groundwork in the metaphysics of morals. It is a way of evaluating motivations for action. It is best known in its formulation: "Act only in accordance to maxim, where, whereby you can at the same time will that it should become a." universal law so categorical imperatives are through um social cohesion and social uh um where we all agree it's a uh, it's a uh it's a social uh ah shit Uh, sorry i can't fucking fucking remember um but basically when enough people agree it's morally justified to do this under action um then that statement is now a universal truth. So uh, he's not even ascertaining universal morality through nature. He's ascertaining a universal moral truth through cooperation. And this is one of the things I I outline in my universal moral truth. Uh, now, I do it in a different way. Um, I, I derive it through, uh, I have four different arguments, I have a philosophical rational argument, I have a uh, neuropathological argument, I also have a, uh, biological argument and then I follow through with a social economic argument but, um, he ascertains that all you need to do is will it through population um now we can, we'll have to outline what will is. Uh, there's a whole book of it in fucking goddamn Nisha where it's like the will to power. So like, I, I don't know if I really want to define what will is. Um, uh, uh, it might just be 20 minutes, who knows. Uh, and so the idea is that social cohesion uh, provides a uh, catalyst to a, mor- a universal moral law. And that's categorical imperatives. So we have hypothetical imperatives. Applied to someone who wishes to obtain certain ends. For example, I must drink something to quench my thirst. Or I must study to pass this exam. These are all just uh, definitional. Um, one subjective and one's an empirical uh, proposition. That uh, through um, consensus comes law. Law. Uh, and this, is, this, this, this imperative is one of his justifications to the expectation that man requires a state or a political authority to operate cohesion. So this is, the, the imperatives are, are basically the first aspect to his social political structure. And there's going to be more. There's going to be more. Um, That's uh, I think that's important, and I want to outline that for any individual who doesn't have a background in philosophy. Uh, But that's a clear indication of because most of the time the only regurgitation you hear is the postmodern reductionist version of moral abolitionists. I hate them so much. I hate the. Bullshit, we're spoon-fed every fucking day and don't, aren't offered any uh, critique or opposing opposition of, a, uh, of, a, of an argument or uh, an assertion. So it, it, that's imperative. I want to uh, <laughs> outline that for a second. The next thing I want to talk about, and this is real choppy people, so you're just going to have to work with me. Um, uh, I was was on a tight time frame. I I did two other episodes on other topics that failed. Um, I might just produce one. Um, Even though it came out to be exactly how I wanted it to be, but um, that's a long story as to why I didn't produce it if it wanted to be what I wanted it to be, but whatever, doesn't matter. We're going to outline another conundrum that philosophers have argued as to an aspect of moral, ethical, epistemological propositions. So, we start here. What is good? Now, what is good? what is good what does it really fucking mean what's what's good and and we're not talking about oh that was good like he did that well like we're talking a vague understanding of uh, divine uh, positive uh, outcome so what is good you know so uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the highest good and uh, I just talked about how uh, a, a maximum of them a maxim of a, a, a categorical imperative is universal law well here we have in the previous section we saw that on Kant's view moral law is purely formal principle that commands us to act only on maxims that have what he calls law giving form that's the categorical imperative which maxims have if have Only if they can be willed as universal law. Moreover, our fundamental reason for choosing to act on such maxims should be that they have law-giving form. I fucking should just get rid of this app which maxims only if they can be willed as universal law moreover our fundamental reason for choosing to act on such maxims should be that they have this law-giving form rather than acting on them which would achieve some end or goal that would satisfy a desire so this is where um our uh traditional sense of justice uh has made an alternative uh grounding in uh, modern times within that era. So uh, we, we originally proposed um, the justice or uh, the enactment of state authority to persecute was on the basis of understanding the um, act as not intent but within the act's means, the act means, so uh, what was produced from that act, not the act itself. Like, uh, And we, we do take that into account, um, but we have laws for a reason. So basically, our justice and uh, authority-based uh, Role of the state is not on Machiavellian ethics. That's where the ends justify the means. They don't. The ends never justify the means. Arguably, it's a factor, which is what Immanuel Kant is arguing. Uh, We have a traditional um, polarity of moral um moral truth and moral justice under utilitarianism and um uh, what's what's the other one it's utilitarianism uh, versus uh, determinism or uh um uh fucking goddamn it i oh, just give me a second consequentialism oh my god i a fucking a i swear to god i'm just, I'm just how am i half here um as universal law moreover a fundamental reason for choosing to act on the maximum should be that they are law-giving form rather than acting on them to achieve some goal or end blah 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 okay for example i should help others in need not at bottom because of doing so would make me feel good even if it would but rather Because it is right, and it is right or permissible to help others in need because this maxim can be willed as a universal law. This is my same argument in different language of universal moral truth for social cohesion. Although Kant holds that morality of an action depend on the form of of its maxim, rather than its end or goal he nevertheless claims both that every human action has an end and that we are unavoidably concerned in consequences of our actions this is where we are today this is basically moral uh, Moral truth and just action of the state for persecution, like I was talking about earlier. Um, that's 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 where we hold our morality within it, the state of America. That's how we hold it. We uh, we view it within that means. This is why we don't have um, uh, mandatory uh, term limits, or I mean mandatory term limits, mandatory blanket. Uh, persecution limits where we persecute under any law a uh, minimum or a maximum this is where the this is where the argument that allows for justification of individual cases to uh, supersede the uh, act as itself this is uh, this circumvents intent and it circumvents um, ends this is Centralism at its finest, people. This is centralism, central political philosophy at its finest. Um, So this is this is what he's saying. So. The good, the maximum good, is when we all cooperate with each other and all act within the aspect of producing this good. Now, he outlines that later, but it's also making sure that any statement is good for both the individual and the production of that means over time. So, how the act comes about, how the intent of the act was given, are both aspects as which to be concerned. And at this point we come to a dichometric understanding of how we should view this good Um, the the dichotomy he proposes is uh, one of natural means where we maximize and I'm going to use his verbiage because it's kind of beautifully written The idea is indeterminate, however, since nobody can know what really he wishes or wills and thus that would make him completely happy. So, uh, in particular, since we naturally have desires and inclinations, and our reason has a commission to attend to the satisfaction of our own desires and inclinations. On Kant's view, we unavoidably form an idea on the maximal satisfaction of all our uh, inclinations and desires. So, uh, he ascertains, uh, and rightfully so, he um, outlines uh, our innate will to provide what happiness is. Like, we have the will to happiness. We naturally want to... Achieve A state of bliss Within our own system Now You're asking me You said dichometric Well what, what What opposes Happiness What's What's an aspect Of a social system That requires Your uh, Your Participation um, Not under your own happiness But out of obligation And this is The obligation To this day Defined as Duty This is the di- this is the dichotomy of his representation of what good is I'm 17 minutes in, I'm still on good oh my god <sighs> alright <laughs> but neither of these days are, uh, we also form an idea of moral world or realms of ends in which everyone acts in accordance with maxims that can be universal laws this is the categorical imperative of something that can become with Consensus. So this is his obligation of duty to the state. Uh, I'm going to continue on because um, I don't know how how much how far I'm going to get in this. So uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna jump forth uh, and I'm just gonna tell you it's duty. Uh, duty to the state is the obligation of the individual to act within accordance of the laws under a justified consensus of universal law. So if we continue on with this. Uh, we're gonna get on to the postulates of pure practical reason. Um, this is gonna be a denological argument. So, uh, here we are. Kant argues that we can comply with our duty to promote the highest good only if we believe in the immortality of the soul and the existence of God. Now, there are people out there that, um, propose a a position of, uh, I don't even want to say Gnosticism, atheism, that, um, ascertain reason and logic are the forms of, uh, moral truth, so, this has an argument against it, um, I think it's true, I think this is exactly why religion, um, arose, is for a position of social cohesion. Now, the argument against it is that they used it to manipulate the populace, to create uh, control. Um, I mean, there's some truth to that, especially within organized religion, but at its purity, uh, religion was not an affirmation to um, uh, uh, universal authority. Uh, Like, uh, they used it to to justify monarchies um, uh, we we could also talk about um oh dude who did uh the the um, the the social contract um i forget who did that it was old it was an old one about justifying monarchism in a political structure but uh yeah uh, that's <sighs> so we're getting into um practical or pure reason, this is uh, comply with the duty that we must believe that the highest good is possible and this is important we have to believe we can achieve utopia through social cooperation or it's not going to happen um, and this is, this is an aspect where you argue how do we achieve utopia uh, I think we should even act within accordance to this doctrine um, even if we believe that a political utopia can be achieved and that we uh, ascertain a technological um, utopia or, or an ecological utopia or maybe a, uh, what's another one? There's a, there's a economic, so you have economic, um, ecological, uh, uh, political, um, technological I'm missing one but there's they're all utopias and if, even if you do not agree that uh, political utopia is the best route to achieve um, social cohesion for perpetual peace and we'll get into that later or a utopian society and to enact in accordance ensures its perpetuation of uh, uh, obligation of state duty and uh, I think that's that's important as well I don't believe political route is the achievable way of ascertaining uh, utopia. So I just want to throw that out there. Um, okay, consider first Kant's moral argument for belief in more in immortality the highest good as we've seen would be a world of complete morality and happiness but Kant holds that it is impossible for a rational being of the sensible world to exhibit complete conformity and dispositions within a moral law this is a little bit of a metaphysical argument um, that goes back to his uh um, one of his older essays on uh the critique of pure reason but um I don't have time to just outline every single definition. Uh, Kant holds that a possible rational being of Which he calls holiness. Because we can never expirate the propensity of our own reason. To give priority to the incentives of inclination over incentive of duty. Which propensity can't cause radical evil. Now. I think he's saying that Raw Hedonism of the uh, propensity of an individual to achieve uh, m- higher states of happiness, um, and this is kind of like an old, um, an old medieval concept of duty to the king. So it's kind of like a residual concept he's um, using within a different uh, connotation to achieve complete opposite result as to the uh, manufacturing of that idea to begin with it's pretty uh pretty pretty good pretty good pretty funny uh kant claims that the moral law nevertheless requires holiness however that and that it there therefore can only be found in endless progress towards complete conformity and this is uh this is another thing i have with kant um He almost seems to contradict himself at times where he, uh, definitely within, uh, the just war outlines and within, uh, perpetual peace. He outlines several aspects as to the definition of, um, the, or to the abolishment of centralized unified, um, Power or authority. And I totally agree with that. Uh, We shouldn't have centralized power. Um, But then we can outline later on spheres of influence and how that's almost a contradiction within itself and the only justification for that would be the endless expansion of humankind which is achievable in space and blah 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 blah. So it's an achievable way of abstaining to uh, complete anarchy and uh, a destruction into the Uh, political extremes through expansion of retention to our centralization Uh, and I think this is where we're at and this is where we've been stuck at for millennia is we we can't divide or we can't divert ourselves from a centralizing um, aspect of political uh, structure because the extremes are both bad and um, nothing good will come out of those extremes, not to mention um, it, it stops progression in any way, shape, or form towards the opposition. This is why centralization allows for um, a, an ability to manipulate within the bounds. Um, this is why we can sway a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right, not polar extremes. You can't go from communism to fascism overnight, even though they're basically the same fucking thing. Then that, that's the problem, that they basically are. Uh, they basically are the exact same thing. Alright, and so we get to where I was. Uh, within my rational argument to universal moral truth. Um, His uh, mature view is that our reason would be in conflict with itself if we did not believe in God and immortality. Because pure practical reason would represent the moral law as authoritative for us, and so presents us with an incentive that is sufficient to determine our will. But pure theoretical reason would undermine this incentive by declaring morality an empty ideal since it would not be able to be conceived of the highest good as possible this is uh, this is why we need God this is this is just exactly why we need God uh, you can justify this is where moral abolitionists and postmodern reduction moral abolitionists to be specifically the uh, specific are, uh, completely justified within their own reason uh, to achieve any um, subjective view of what morality is. So this this is the cure, this is the pure, unadulterated, um, atheistic view of justification towards morals. There is none. That's just where they get to. They get to the point there is no moral truth. And I think people forget that when they're like, I'm atheist, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. You're missing the nuances of your own philosophical position. That's imperative, you understand opposition to decrease the likelihood of uh, bias now we are going to get to exactly why I love Kant uh, we're going to talk about the critique of power of judgment and I'm just going to read a, uh, a section um, that I, I can't even argue against uh, entire critical enterprise to an end by bridging the gulf or chasm that separates the dominion of his theoretical philosophy, discussed mainly in the Critique of Pure Reason, from the domain of practical philosophy, discussed mainly in the Critique of Practical Reason. Understanding legislates a priori for nature, as object of the senses, for a theoretical cognition of it in a possible experience. Reason legislates a priority for freedom and its own casualty as the supersensible in the subject for an unconditional practical cognition. You have to uh, ascertain, understand your own morality, uh, view yourself as a transcendable being into a different. Uh, perspective of reality that we cannot ascertain within our given senses i think it's uh, the sensible um uh the, when he gets more metaphysical um, i think it's it's metaphysics of uh, pure reason there's another metaphysical essay he puts out um, when he gets more metaphysical he um, um obtains the view uh of our own mortality being a subjective understanding to social cohesion uh, because for your moral uh, perpet- or for your uh, given perpetuation of existence under this experience of uh, sensible reality um, which is beyond our metaphysical reasoning uh, <laughs> uh we get to the understanding of social cohesion under this so we also ascertain freedom and liberation of self and the pursuit to the liberation of self this is the main reason why Immanuel Kant stuck out to me in the first place he pushes for freedom and civil liberties free trade and freedom of self Within every aspect of his uh, metaphysical to uh, rational to uh, social to political arguments. It's at the, h- freedom and liberation of self is at his main aspect of all centralizing uh, concepts of his philosophy. Uh, you could argue not duty, but at the same time, Um, if we did not achieve that duty, we wouldn't be able to achieve social cohesion, and there would be no uh, insurance as to your perpetuation. You see what I mean? And just, it's all sessicular. Um, it all falls back into itself as to an understanding of promoting itself. Uh, that's why philosophy is, uh, pretty much amazing. Now, uh, he talks about nature and the state of nature. I don't know if I even outlined this. I'm a... I don't want to have to listen to it, so I'm going to say it again. Uh, na- nature is a state of chaos, uh, instability, um, and the state of natural uh, uh, inclination towards maximum pleasure. Uh, it's half. And I did outline this earlier, but it's half to uh, the expectation of what good is. Um, but then you need the state to balance so then we have duty I did do that earlier so I apologize for the reiteration there and now that we finished epistemological arguments and uh, metaphysical arguments uh, defining certain aspects of uh, traditional philosophic conundrums um, we're gonna move on to more practical aspects of social cohesion and more social uh, structures uh first little bit of an essay i'm going to invoke it is an outlining of the six aspects to perpetual peace and this uh outlining is going to be the f- first part of my argument of how to achieve how to achieve a viable uh political form of foreign intervention and uh, I'm going to provide a little bit of an argument where I'm kind of split and I'm going to provide what I believe is uh, completely viable maybe next uh, week I'll talk about Hegelian or I might expand on the conspiracy about Nordstrom or Nord Stream pipeline Um, but for right now uh, we're going to outline Social structures under Kantian ethics. But before we expand on that, uh, we need to talk again about a couple definitions uh, we have to outline. Um, In his doctrine of right, we're going to start with his view to describe international right. This is uh, a justification for moral Liberties given under any political, uh, system of international, uh, um, travel or international migration. These should be, uh, God-given rights. Uh, any, po- uh, you know, staunch religious, uh, listeners out there. Which I fully promote religion. I am a pagan. Um, even has his, <laughs> okay, his, uh, his, uh religion under pure reason is is, is basically uh, it's, a, it's a basically a pagan, pagan doctrine so whatever um, so we have uh, a international right and then we have rights of nations we also discuss as a league of nations before they were formed uh, basically the EU or the NATO although it is clear that he is referring to not nations as peoples but to the states of the organization so this is the rights not of the people this is the rights that the states have for other states to retain perpetual peace so this is state rights to other states now this is where definitions get muddy based on uh, era and contextual uh, presentation and the failure of uh, exact translation between uh, language so this is something I want to outline very specifically uh, it's how he understands a federation now when you hear federation uh, immediately you're like federalist uh, i am 100 percent against federalists um not because the idea is somehow askew it is a little bit but the idea isn't exactly impure like where i consider communism or fascism um being dystopian within nature uh Um, Federalists require a uh, universal doctrine or a constitution at which all states within the union are subjected to, uh, even against uh, uh, common law and uh, a population's opposition to the moral uh, dictation of the uh, federal government. This is why I don't like Federalists. Uh, I mean I like the constitution and I dislike the constitution there is an argument for both aspects as to a constitution to retain a limitation of human rights without the ability of uh, a monarch or a uh, a dystopian government arising and eroding those over time which is happening now um, it's a buffer to where we can say, whoa whoa, 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 we're drawing a line over here. We got a constitution. Uh, you can't take away our guns, even though every fucking year they try to take away your guns. Uh, oh, well, uh, you can't consume this, even though every single year pharmaceutical companies cornerstone the production of uh, the consumption... Of chemicals they deem as being uh, deteriorating society. So it's pretty funny that they have this war against drugs um, and then they send Afghani and, um, or they send troops to Afghan, um, hire Afghani and uh, uh, troops and use Afghanian resources to protect poppy fields while at the same time they complain about individuals producing opiates in the state by themselves under their own volition uh, you don't need an opioid that is a poppy derivative so if you know anything about opioid drugs all opioids are uh, Manufactured through pharmaceutical production under Big Pharma, it's all poppy derivatives. But because goddamn everybody wants to pander to China, they allow you to sell Kratom or Kratom or. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Kratom. But whatever, I'm not fucking Chinese. It's a southeastern Chinese plant called Kratom or whatnot. And that Kratom is an opioid plant. Where do you think these chemicals that are produced in large scale in manufacturing and refining process for pharmaceutical companies come from? These chemicals, even if they were even if they're chemically produced through a chemical process, um, it's inherently worse for you for the chemical structure. There's several reasons why it can still hit a receptor, but they're all derivatives of chemical structures that were um, found in nature. What do you think aspirin was? They observed South American tribes true, chewing on a tree bark. And they're like, the fuck is this tree bark? They pull it out. Bam, we got aspirin. Because they recognized the chemical that was inducing the fact that natives were consuming for a reason. At one point, I want to find this again. But... um. Really cool story. In Native Americans. Where they. uh, They have like. Orbs. Four or five orbs. Under the different races. After we were separated. By a great uh, calamity. And each race. Was given an orb. And given a. Purpose. Of knowledge. To pursue. Within the aspect of existence. So, uh, w- like, white people were given, like, I think it was a red orb or some shit. And we were supposed to, under our society, before we were separated, were given the, um, given the uh, plan or proposition of our race pursuing the advancement and understanding of fire it's like gunpowder producing fire in conches of uh, of uh, this certain mushroom so we could harbor embers for Days inside of these mushrooms, these conch uh, mushrooms, to preserve the ember and be able easily to obtain a fire. Um, we learned that from the ice guy, that whole mushroom thing. Um, but they also said they were given a green orb, and all Native American tribes, their pursuit of knowledge. Was the technological under, or er, I want to say metaphysically or you know, technological because it is a form of technology, but their plan by God or these beings, basically the Anunnaki at this point, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, that's its own bit. Um, but the Anunnaki gave the American tribes the pursuit of knowledge. Towards plants. So, Native Americans were supposed to understand applications and purposes of local flora uh, under the given um, explanation of divine creatures. Uh, so, they were told to learn about plants. You know, Africans. I'm pretty sure we're supposed to do something about political structure, which totally fits. Uh, we stole um, the rights of governing under a body of representatives uh, uh, for a political structure against the Iroquois League, where most of our during that time period we discovered this uh, social construction was a. Uh, System of monarchy. Uh, divine. Given right to rule. Uh, you know. Monarchs st- still retain. Uh, divine right by God. To rule. So. Uh, that's, a, that's a little thing. I want to eventually find that story again. Uh, I was told. By a native. In New Mexico. I'm pretty sure he was Pueblo told me that story and i can't find it anywhere i found it one time and i've not been able to find it since yeah but with those uh native americans uh all and all of our uh ethnicities given a purpose um yeah i didn't didn't work out so well because uh we find Arbitrary uh, distinctions between each other and justify horridies under our own uh, um, our own perceived uh, superiority morally or uh, technologically it just depends on what what the context is. But given lack of international institutions, Kant says states must consider to be in a state of nature relative to one another. That is the instability of his definition of the state of nature. So we're all going to be in chaos. Because if you have states that have their own structure. And then we have an, an interaction of those states under their own sources of interaction creates a state of nature of instability between all states and their nature right so although it is clear as you're referring to not nations oh no that's not right i like individual states are updated. Uh, relative one another like individuals in this state of nature then they must consider to be in a state of war with each other this is exactly the instability I was referring to Um, like individuals the states are obligated to leave this state of nature to form some type of union under social contract Um, social contract first written by Hobbes to justify monarchism uh states do not have a right to go to war against other states if another state threatens it or actively aggresses against it but any declaration of war ought to be confirmed by the people this is uh this is why having congress as a council to de- de- for the declaration of war ...is better than having a unilateral decision under the executive branch of the president. This is why they have that power. They have some weird powers that uh, just... uh, Let's just throw it to the council. Uh, But yeah. uh, We need to achieve social cohesion internationally. And this is where... I initially thought I caught Kant in a contradiction of social structure that violated the tenets of its own self and I'll expand on that a little bit in a little bit later Like individuals, they are obligated with the nature of some type of unions for a social contract. Before the creation of such a union, states do have a right to go to war. Other states, if another threatens against it. But any declaration of war ought to be confirmed by the people as co-legislating members of this state. Rulers who wage war... Without such consent are using their subjects as property. This is another reason why I love Kant. He goes against war and he knows that the one percent fuck anybody below them within political policy any opportunity they're given. As mere means, but rather as treating them as the ends in themselves. We are the ends. We are the things they should be serving. Rather than treating them like ends in themselves this claim is one of Kant's strongest statements that actually voting by citizen is required. Citizens must therefore give their free assent through their representatives not only to waging war in general but also to each particular declaration of war. Once war has been declared, states are obligated to conduct the war under principles that leave open the possibility of an eventual league of states. Actions that undermine future trust between states, such as the use of assassination, are prohibited. This is where we start jumping into his essay of uh, perpetual peace. And instead of just giving you a reductionist or really like an over an explanation form. I'm going to give you just the aspects themselves. Maybe clarify my uh, view of how I, uh, each aspect is uh, affected within the functioning um, outcome of uh, international unions. So, we're going to talk about the six aspects of perpetual peace. And within the six preliminary articles are as follows No conclusion of peace shall be considered valid as such if it was made within a secret reservation. Of the material for future war. This is where he outlines that standing wars are not justified because the act of uh, producing um, funds or monetary uh, uh, propagation to a defensive budget is just the expectation of future conflict. No interdependent existing state, whether it be large or small, shall be acquired by another state by inheritance, exchange, purchase, or gift. Now, this is this is one of the weirder parts, um, cause uh, he says this is one of the main uh, functions of it. But uh, um, like, yeah, if you have a truly dystopian state. Um, that's actively threatening multiple aspects of, uh, of a society, then it's a just war. And that's one, of he, that's one of the aspects of his just war. So when he outlines this, he doesn't take it as a necessity under strain and opposition um, of, a, uh, an, uh, uh, of an appeared attack or an attack itself to not justify retaliation Uh, standing armies will gradually be abolished altogether dearmistice treaties happen all the time Um, I mean it was a pretty good outcome during the cold war between Russia and America number four no national debt shall be contracted in connection with the external affairs of the state this is where we massively fuck up. And this is where there's so many questions as to what our elected representatives are doing. I think I'm going to be able to get through all six of these. Uh, we're just going to have to wait for my intro, er, my introduction into just war. Uh, furthering my ideological and rational argument in epistemological uh, propositions but then I'm also gonna have to uh, jump more into how this reflects international uh, political policy in today so I have a two hour I have two hours worth of content here uh, I'm gonna put out one hour today so I'll, I'll, I'll do part two later on this week um, And so that I'll cover me for the two weeks and I'll even do a conspiracy episode. I really want to do a conspiracy episode because I want to branch out uh, from less empirical, philosophical uh, episodes uh, into something less mentally exhausting to the point where I want to put a bullet in my brain every couple of days uh, because everything's just fucked so um we're now on no national debt of current affairs of the state that's another reason as to why we're in the uh strained international political system we are today uh... the sanctions of um, reparations and sanctions of germany after uh... world war one Left large debts. Uh, it also produced hyperinflation within the state of its own um, currency, which uh, it just it just demolished Germany to the point where a massive dystopian political leader, which can who had had. Produced small increments of uh, economic um, alleviation to its populace, was able to achieve unilateral uh, centralized authority under a given Fuhrer. That's why World War I war reparations led to Hitler. Number five, no state shall forcibly interfere in the Constitution and government of another state. This is something America does on the daily and in a constant and we we just think we're we're I don't want to say we our elected representatives assume their inability to be prosecuted or to uh, receive ramifications for their actions abroad this is where right after world war ii uh, treaty of versailles was signed our central intelligence agencies start assassinating political opposition and promoting political opposition with uh propaganda abroad this is the cia that just fucked all the foreign international uh cohesion number six no state at war with another shall permit such acts of hostility as would make mutual confidence impossible during a future time of peace such acts would include the employment of assassins or prisoners breach of agreements the instigation of treason within the enemy state This is another thing the CIA is guilty of... They constantly promote... Opposition... Uh, They have it with the fucking Bay of Pigs... Like what the fuck... Uh, This is uh... This is is where we're getting to the real fucking problems... The last few... Are uh, a failure of our state to recognize the limitations of our own influence based on moral justifications uh, to try to control everything. Uh, We go in, fuck in the Middle East, to assassinate Gaddafi, to force trade of our energy or the energy supply of their export under our dollar which props up Trade International for the uh, demand of our dollar to produce higher value of our own currency this is exactly what Russia did with the Nord Stream pipeline they forced after our idiocy of shutting down our energy pipelines, which arguably are more efficient, less, uh, if they don't get fucking sabotaged, less um, destructive to the environment, more efficient at distribution. Um, It itself will propel itself. We don't need... To divide those in pressurized tanks. And then ship them across the U.S. Using gas to (laughs) reallocate energy or reallocate gas. Which we're going to use for energy. It's like these activists don't understand the outcome. uh, Because of indoctrination through political propaganda um, there's problems on the right there's problems on the left I hold no shots I I, I pretty much hate all of government at this point then that's the six articles that uh, require uh, perpetual peace now we didn't get into just war uh, we didn't get into uh, religion of mere reason and uh, we, we need to outline a few more things in my next episode uh, but I, I achieved my hour long audio file and I'm going to cut off here this is the human condition any expectations to the limitation of ideas is the abolishment of liberation to self The Human Condition Podcast by Max Manning.